and welcome to Libromancy, a podcast about the magic of books. I'm Josh, and today I'm talking about Marked, the ninth book in the Alex Ferris series by Benedict Jacka. So let's counsel with the magic of books. This is another great book. It was a lot of fun to read. It progresses our plot by a little bit. We're starting to see more ramifications of actions from previous books, and we're starting to see some of those consequences finally come to light, which is a great thing, and it's a bad thing. It's a little bit of all the things, because there's some good, there's some bad. Um, Yeah, it is what it is. So I thought this book was really gauging. This book was a little different, I feel like, in its pacing, because I feel like the first half of the book is still fast-paced, but it's a slower pace than the second half of the book, where things start getting really excited. Maybe even, like, the last third of the book is where things really start picking up and moving forward. So it's a little bit of a different feeling. And it wasn't bad. It did take me... I didn't... It's wrong to say it took me more time to get into this book. Because when I started reading it, I was invested. But it took a little bit more before I was pulling my phone out to read it. Because I read it in an ebook. Uh, before I was pulling out my phone to read it anywhere and everywhere I could. How about that? So I, I did really enjoy it, though. I thought this is an excellent next book in the series. I'm still very excited to see where these things are going because we know a little bit more, but we don't know a ton more. So let's uh, let's keep talking about this stuff. Now, I, I do want to say something that the the atmosphere or like the setting of this book is really, for the most part, it's not important, at least not to me. I mean, some people would argue, yes, it's very important that it's happening in London. But realistically, I don't think that's what Benedict Jack is trying to like evoke like i get i get the the feeling of the emotions in all of our settings right we're in this place and we're feeling this because of these things and we go here and we feel this you know so i get those feelings and i get that kind of a thing but in truth the the layout or like you know he's like as he describes things is kind of sparse which is not a bad thing that's me fill in more of what i want or what i'm seeing which might make it a little bit different to what somebody else might think of it as but it really doesn't hurt it. There's uh, about the only thing... I could talk a little bit more about this in our spoilery section, but I just wanted to say there is one spot where I feel like the descriptions are well-placed and deserved and relevant to our story, which is very good. So I think we're just going to have to get into this. I feel like uh, the plot is the plot is a little bit condensed. Like, there is no... There's no final goal for this book. This is almost like a bridge book, but it doesn't feel like a bridge book because of all the things that are happening in it, where we feel like there's no... How do I say this? Okay, okay, here's how I'm going to say this. In previous books, there was a goal and a task, and this is what it is, and now here's the next one. So in the first book, it would be Get the Fate Weaver. You know, In the second book, it's dealing with the monkey's paw and the harvesting. In the next book... It's the tournament, and we're finding where all these mages are disappearing to. And this book is not does not resolve itself, or really, it resolves a couple of things. It helps with a couple of things, but it doesn't change, doesn't close anything really off. You know, obviously, it does close things off, but not in the way that like those first books did, where it's like, here's the Fate Weaver story, here's this story. 
and I'm glad that it's moving into this kind of position where it is. But but I think maybe if it's hard to say, it would have been better if there was another story because we're still seeing and dealing with Alex, which is not a spoiler because it was in the very last book with Alex being on the Light Council. So we're dealing with more of those things, and we're seeing things in the future, you know, coming to pass because of that. So let's just get into our spoiler section. Let's let's just go into it. So be warned if you haven't read it, go read it and come back. It's worth it. It's fun. It's quick. You'll enjoy it. So as we left off our last book, Alex is Alex Ferris is on the Light Council as a junior council member. He Morden is in jail. He's been attacked. Richard Rudrock got away with a lot of impute items and the magical community is on dealing with the backlash of that so alex on the council he's going out and he's working on retrieving a bunch of these impute items that have been released because they're either too dangerous or they're not worth keeping namely the first chapter they're going after the splintered crown it uh, creates mind control that gives you mind control but then you basically just want to build a tower for whatever reason just because and so you know, Alex is kicking butt and taking that down. The council's still the worst decision-making body on the planet that none of them can pull their heads out of anything long enough to figure out that maybe they should do things that actually make sense or, like, that take into account the fact that, you know, maybe there are people who are less powerful than us, but there's ten of them to us, ten to one, and if they kill us, you know, if they all massed and attacked, it would be a little bit harder for us to... uh fight back on that but let's keep going on with that they want morden to basically betray drock give them some inside information find out where he's going to be so they can arrest him alex gets the information from onyx you know working with through morden the council goes into jagong's palace of course because where else would richard drock be going to meet they basically get their butts handed to them because of the imbued items and because they weren't smart. They just are dumb. They have one playbook and they stick to it. Then we learn that Dark Annie is breaking out. She's the one who's allied with the Jinn. She makes an appearance. She goes in with Alex and breaks Morden out of jail, which Alex did not want, just in case I my sentence was a little confusing there. She breaks Morden out of jail, Zessa shies away from meeting Richard, and then Alex rescues Annie in Elsewhere, and Varya and Luna rescue her body. They get out... The book ends, and they are a couple, finally. Finally, my ship is here. I thought it happened two books ago, which was way off, because it didn't happen two books ago. It happened here, and I'm finally glad it did. I'm finally glad to hear that everybody who's been telling him, hey, you should talk to Annie about this. You should talk to Annie about this. They finally got what they wanted, and Alex had to talk to Annie and do it. So, ah, so much to talk about here. Like... Let's just start with the council. I just, their solution to every issue is, let's just kill him. Let's just kill him. You know, Morden's in jail, but we can get more out of him. And if we can't, we'll just kill him. Like, whoa, come on. Like, can't you have any, any kind of like sympathy for anybody beyond yourself? And the answer, of course, is no. Of course you can't, because that's not who you are. You are council members. To be a council member, you have to be a backstabber you have to be a, a politicky guy you know you have to be a schmoozer talk long game stuff and long game stuff is fine i'm not saying don't pay attention to the long game but these people only care about themselves that's how they made it into the council sure Vistas claims yes i do it for the good of everyone 
Except you don't do it for the good of anyone. Because the good of anyone, like, as he Varys called out in the last book, if you don't take pay attention to the adepts and the sensitives, like, you're going to turn them against you. You're going to lose their support. Nobody really wants to work with the council. Because if you don't do the right thing at the council and you get sucked into their game, it's either death or death. It's basically your only options when you work with the council and you don't want to. Or you work with them at all, you're going to die eventually. And usually by the, through them. So I just, like, they really should have listened to Alex. It's like, who's the one who's retrieving all the items? Oh, yeah, that's right. It's Alex. I've retrieved 11 or 12. How many of you guys retrieved? Oh, three? Zero? What was that? I love that. He was calling him out and being like, look, I'm out there in the field doing stuff. You guys aren't. Pay attention to me, what I'm telling you. Oh, yeah, we're going to capture Morden. You know, we only told our, our aides, their people, the general, their aides, all the people going to get him. And it's like, so... You told literally hundreds of people, but you don't think Richard, who's been smart enough to plan an attack on the vault and take everything, is smart enough to know that you're coming for him. Yes, yes, clearly I forgot that the council, in its all-wise decisions, is immune to stupidity and, and dumb ideas. Oh wait, they're not. Obviously he knew they were coming. It's a good plan on his part. Get all the adepts in one place or a bunch of them. Start riling them up. When the creepers show up to to capture Richard, obviously they're going to attack some adepts because they're just that dumb. And the keepers, as much as I love them, as much as I love some of them, they are not. They're just too used to walking over the adepts. And this is not how it's going to be. I would be very, very surprised if the White Light Council makes it through the story without either major changes, meaning nobody on the council basically is through the council to the next session or to the next through the end of the book or it's completely dissolved right that's kind of my prediction because the way they're going they are not going to last long they just can't now obviously let's we talk about dark annie she breaks more than out of jail who is dark annie oh it's the dark side of her that's like this is who i am but i don't want to be this is the me that i call up to fight and that i let do my fighting you know from when she was with sagash and she kind of split her own personality and Dark Annie is the one who's been dealing with the djinn. Dark, Dark Annie. No good. She's uh, she's evil, basically. You know, in the beginning, we were, I was totally for like her merging and being like, yeah, they could be together. But now it's like, oh, no, Dark Annie is Dark Annie. She is definitely, definitely evil. But I like this, you know, just the idea that it's a three-way tie. Dark Annie is in control of her body, obviously, but Richard... Drock is controlling the djinn a little bit, and while the djinn wants to take over Annie and like hurt her, but they all are at an impasse with each other, and they all kind of have to work, be working together to get the wishes to come forth, the protection or the magic. And seeing that fight between Alex and the djinn in elsewhere, that was crazy. The djinn is using these unimaginable attacks, and it's unassailable. It's huge. It's it, but you still can't comprehend it. It's like a dragon almost. And he's just like, I'm dodging, I'm standing, I'm willing it to not work. Because the important thing about elsewhere is you believe, and the things you believe, the way you believe it makes it not hurt. Like if you get stabbed, you're okay because you're in a dream and you know that. So you know you're not going to get hurt from a stab. But this is so powerful, it wouldn't matter. And then he breaks Annie out. And he's like, Annie, you know, fight. You have to be come up and help us. And do good and he's like oh wait that's what dark annie likes what does my annie like and he's like annie i love you and then she breaks out and it's like yeah she did it 
then she kicks the gin out of her body and it's like oh so cool and then she totally totally like cuts off dark annie locks her up even worse than she was before and i have to wonder if they're gonna do some kind of a split if dark annie will somehow get a gin power create a body for herself or they'll do something to split her and if she'll have her same light or life magic i don't know you know pretty interesting stuff now again another character we really have to talk about here is rachel slash delia of course and i loved in this one that luna calls alex out about it she's like hey you know you call her delio to her face you call her delio when you're talking about her with other mages but when you're with us your friends you call her rachel like why like do you, you still think of her as rachel in your mind and you only call her delio to appease her right like don't you think that maybe she feels like you are sliding her when you call her rachel because you're not you're picturing her as she was before and not how she is now you're not giving her credit and you know him being like you know what maybe you're kind of right like and rachel had some good points where oh sorry we gotta go back a little bit talking to the dragon and him asking questions and the dragon giving them to him and then him being like well this is bs these things don't these answers don't help at all like tell me what these mean and he's like well if i tell you what they mean you won't they won't matter anymore and the questions and the answers will be completely different And he's like do it anyway and he's like, well, you can't separate the gin from Annie. You can't kill. You can't turn Rachel away from Richard. You, the way you're going, you have to listen. And he listens to Rachel. So that's you know how he listens to Delio slash Rachel. And, and he's like, you know what? She had a lot of good points. Like from her point of view, I am just above the rules. I do what I want. I don't get punished for it. I didn't listen. I am manipulative. I gain power. And he's like, you know what? She is. She has a lot of good points. And they're the same things that Caldera talked about, which is, you know, it's like, so maybe they're not 100% wrong. You know, if I learn how we're similar, maybe I can use that to turn her without trying to be obvious manipulative because she's aware of that and she knows how Alex works. And so, so cool. You know, Alex wants, she says, Alex, you wanted to be powerful, Alex. And it's like, well, I kind of do want to be powerful, but it's, you know, on our side, we're seeing him say, like, I just want to be powerful so I don't get killed. And to the other people, it seems like he wants to be powerful so that he can be powerful. So it's an interesting thing. But so this was super good. And like I was going to say with the atmosphere, the stuff in Elsewhere was great because we have great descriptions of everything that's kind of going on and how it's built. And that's important because that's how we kind of know which Annie is in control almost Dark Annie really can't control it. She can kind of at best keep it together, but she is the weaker one of the two. Real Annie, of course, she comes in, she stamps her foot down, and like her whole mind palace basically is rebuilding itself and back together. And so those descriptions in Elsewhere are very effective at being like, bam, this is what it's supposed to look like. Bam, this is what it was looking like. This is, it's just so cool. And I just had another thought. Somebody in the council has to know about Dark Annie. Or there was just a really subtle manipulation going on from the dark, the from other people. Because why else would they insist that Alex Varys be there at Morden's secondary interview, where it's basically, "Hey, uh, we're going to execute you because our attack failed." Which, again, like they just don't think ahead. Like if the senior council hadn't been like, you know what, we're going to go threaten Morden again. Guess what? He'd still be in jail. <laughs> what? How does that work? You know, and Annie wouldn't have been able, Dark Annie wouldn't have been able to sneak in with them and, you know, break him out. Like, but no, they get in their own way, of course, because we just have to kill him. Salsark 
just get over it, man. You're jealous. You're embarrassed. Like, go do some good work then. Like, just quit trying to kill each other for heaven's sake. That's why I don't think they're going to get there. But so I'm, I'm wondering if there is another someone on the council who's working more directly with the the dark mages. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was just really subtle manipulations and favors and things. But but we'll see. So running out of time here, but there's just a couple more things that I want to talk about. I mean, just when Alex is taking down the splintered crown and he's calling out Chimera for being hired to kill him and being like, you know, next time you're hired to kill somebody, like, think about it first. Like, did you hear about the Adeptalis who was a life drinker? Yeah, he came for me and I sent it back to Levistus in pieces, you know, in a choir, in a at a party. It's just, oh, so many good spots. Me visiting the dragon was amazing. I'm so glad Alex finally told Annie about their feelings and they can move forward. I really have no idea where the next book is going, but I am super excited to find out. So, and that is going to wrap up my discussion of Marked by Benedict Jacka. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks to David Hillowitz for the intro and outro music. Of course, if you have any questions or comments, send those to LeeBromancyPod at gmail.com. You know, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. And remember to counsel with the magic of books.